The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 207 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in this show are my own, that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I'm privileged to as a result of my current employment. I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And the thing I say here on the show should be treated as legal or financial advice. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode, number 206, the current state of, the di- of digital forensics. We had the vice president of open tech security, Maureen Kaplan, join me on the show last week to share her perspective on the current for digital forensics market and how the roots of this market are, have been in law enforcement traditionally and how it's now expanded into the enterprise. She also gave her opinion on the talent shortage in the forensic space and how we need to cr- be creative to improve the practitioner pipeline. We finished the show with Maureen sharing her, her view on and, and lessons learned over the years on how to improve your boardroom presentations. I got to be honest, folks, I love this segment. It's must listen advice if you are a new CISO or business leader. All this and much, much more on episode 206 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, we got another great guest for you tonight. I'm excited to have the Chief Technology Officer of Zero Fox, Mr. Mike Price, join me tonight. Mike is a Chief Technology Officer at the Enterprise Information Security Startup Zero Fox. He's responsible for all aspects of technology, including strategy, execution, product management, engineering, data science, intelligence, and information security. Mike has held key roles at several enterprise information security startups, including AppThority, which was acquired by Symantec in 2018, Volner, acquired by Zero Fox in 2014, and Foundstone, acquired by McAfee in 2004. It's my pleasure to introduce Chief Technology Officer of Zero Fox, Mike Price. Hey, Mike, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Hey, Andy. How's it going? Thanks for it's having good, me. It's good, man. Yeah, glad you're here, man. I know we got to catch up real quick and get you on the show, man. I appreciate you taking the time to join with us tonight. You know, it's, uh, you've got a really cool story, man. I was, you know, you know, before the show prepping and I'm going, man, this guy is like a technologist, but he's an entrepreneur. Uh, but you, you know, you easily communicate what you do. And like, I'm just fascinated with your journey, man. You mind sharing with the audience a little bit about, you know, your story? Uh, sh- sure. Yeah. Actually the story begins, um, almost 30 years ago. Um, I was raised by, uh, my, my mother, my single mother who worked at AT&T for about 37 years. And, um, she began working at AT&T in the early 1980s and she was hired on uh, and, and became a Unix administrator on some of the early Unix machines. These, uh, machines were known as 3B20s and they were about the size of a car at the time. So I remember going, uh, every once in a while into the office to see these big giants, uh, 3B20 Unix machines and the, uh, you know, the big refrigerator sized hard drives that they were connected to. And um, when I got a little bit older, I was, you know, maybe 14 or 15 years old. Um, I had that AOL disc arrive in the mid nineties to my house. And uh, I grabbed my mom's, one of my mom's work laptops. And I plugged that floppy disc into the laptop and got connected to the internet for the first time. And, uh, you know, immediately became addicted basically to the internet. And so um, that was maybe the night, the mid 1990s. And, uh, I, you know, pr- took about uh, a couple of weeks to get connected into 
some of the sort of quote unquote hacking groups that were active on AOL at the time. And from there, I uh, you know got my start in the cybersecurity world, so to speak. And so for the first probably, you know, from, from the time I was 14 or 15 years old until the time I was 18 years old, I ended up basically staying up all night long every single day for probably two years, just trying to learn about uh, computers and computer security as a high school kid. And then uh, when I was uh, 18 years old, I decided that I wanted to get into computer science. And so I enrolled at a community college um, in the Bay Area, in, in the East Bay, where I'm from, and began to take computer science classes. And uh, originally, my plan was to go work in Silicon Valley as a, as a programmer at some company there, you know. And when I was about 19, somebody that I had met online had gotten connected with um, an ex-lieutenant colonel from the army that had moved out west and uh, that was doing cybersecurity training uh, for, the, for the U.S. federal government mostly. And this was in the, the late 1990s. So they invited me to move down to Southern California to join a contract uh, delivering security services to NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And at the time I was, um, I think I was 19 or 20, and I was working at uh, UPS actually at the Oakland airport um, packing airplanes. And so I said, well, I think moving to Southern California and working on contract at NASA sounds like a lot more fun than working for UPS. And so I, uh, <laughs> I remember I uh, went, went out on the tarmac at uh, the airport there and I told my boss, you know, I gave notice and told him I was moving to SoCal to, to work at NASA. And he kind of looked at me like, you know, as if I was lying to him or, or telling a joke. And I said, I'm, I'm serious, man. And he said, well, what have you been doing with your free time? And I said, it's a long story. And so <laughs> <laughs> hanging out at 2600 meetings, what I've been doing. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I, I packed my bags and, you know, I um, dropped out of college and I moved to Southern California and, and I started working there. And, uh, you know, I would um, drive up to uh, the, the campus in uh, Pasadena uh, every day, you know, Monday through Friday with a clipboard and a laptop. And um, I walked to, through every building on campus there and, and uh, physically uh, checked the settings on all of their, their computers. <laughs> wow. That was- Dude, that, that's a cool place too. Like I, I, when I was in the secret service, I, I lived in LA and we would go to JPL all the time. And, and man, it, it's some smart people out there doing some really cool stuff. Um, first of all, big ups to moms, right? Like, I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> I mean, man, like, you know, I look back at like my mom and the stuff that she, you know, we got exposed to through her career. It, it's so true, right? You just sit there and watch and you, you find where you gravitate towards. So, you know, the way you came up, it, it was having this question the other, this conversation the other day with a friend of mine, and we were talking about certifications and versus, um, you know, just getting on the keyboard and tinkering and having that passion for digging in. And which do people prefer? And, and, and typically it seems like everyone's like, what search should I go get? And I feel like that's just like the wrong way to think about it. You know, ha- having been come up through the non-certification track, which I'm sure you can just take the test on all of them, you know, like w- what's your take, you know, when you're looking for talent uh, for your teams, like what are you looking for? Yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of culture around that topic, to be honest with you. So like, like, you know, for example, I did take the CISSP and I took it in the year, I think 2000 and I studied for it the night before and I passed it the next day and uh, I never renewed it. And, and you know, I, I think it has its pros and its cons, but like that's that's the first cert that I ever got. And it's pretty much the only one that I've ever gotten. And uh, I think the thing is, is if you're if you're super into cybersecurity, it's it's not really like your job for me. It's not my job. It's just what I do. And it's what I've been doing for 30 years. And I, I mentioned this to somebody else. I'll probably be doing this, you know, until the day I die because it's just fun. <laughs> and um, so 
I just go so deep because I'm into it that like I kind of outpace whatever certification is going to give me. And so when you know, dealing with people, I think they understand that like I definitely know what I'm doing most of the time. Um, you, you know, and I think if you're working in the in the private sector or if you're if you're dealing a lot with folks that are that are really good at uh, computer security, you know, then certi- certificates can be a little bit looked down upon as like, hey, like, you know, you don't really need those. You can just kind of uh, RTFM and kind of learn yourself and get good at things. You don't need, need the cert to prove it. Uh, I, I'll definitely say that if you're getting started in your career, there are certain certificates that may be helpful. And then I know that in, you know, the United States government, maybe in the military and stuff, having these certs is like pretty common. And I do think that people kind of like would look for them for free to have them. So I think it might just depend on like sort of the area that you're working in. What path you're looking to take. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, speaking of talent, man, I mean, there's no, no, no deny in there. Well, I mean, I, I think there's a talent shortage. I mean, we're out there, you know, hearing it from folks all the time, but we hear about AI kind of talking about solving, help, you know, being a tool that can maybe help the talent shortage, but what, what are the uses of AI, you know, in, in, in cybersecurity and what's your take on it? Sure. Um, <clears throat> it's certainly an interesting question. I think that there, there are plenty of uses and there's probably a lot more to come, you know, uh, down, down the road. Um, I, I think that some, some companies have had good success in applying this in the endpoint space. And so there have been some more recent quote unquote next generation endpoint security products that have made good use of AI in order to, to, to detect anomalous behavior on the endpoint. Uh, we've seen some cool uh, network security products come out that are more network behavioral analytics types of products that aren't just based on signatures that use AI to detect anomalous behavior on the network. And so there have been some advances in, in endpoint and network security based on AI that, that's kind of out there that you can buy those products and deploy them today. And then, um, you know, in sort of my day-to-day where we're doing a lot of analysis of bad stuff out there on the internet, it's called a digital risk protection or cyber threat intelligence. And um, <clears throat> there's a lot of opportunity for us to examine uh, media with artificial intelligence. So we look at text and images and video and uh, different things like this in order to determine whether they contain something that might be relevant to our customers. So maybe there's uh, an impersonation, impersonating social media profile that's been created. We might want to automatically check whether the profile images matches a customer that we're protecting, for example. And so just comparing images or like faces, for example, um, is hard to do and AI ends up being the solution for that. So there, there are lots of um, uses uh, for it within the security space for sure. Man, I got so many questions, but we got we to take a, a commercial break. And when we come back, I want a way to dive into Zero Fox. And we're going to go into, um, you know, the emerging threat landscape. So take, start thinking about it, bro, as we take a quick break here. All right, folks, we got to transition to break. <clears throat> hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Chief Technology Officer of Zero Fox, Mike Price. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. 
However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with Chief Technology Officer of Zero Fox, Mike Price. All right, man. Zero Fox is on the rise, dude. You guys got a lot going on. Um, I'm, I'm seeing some good news out there about you guys uh, around the future and some uh, you know, potential IPO and all that kind of stuff. So I'm seeing stuff in the news, but I'd love to get your take. Just been, what's, what's been hot for you guys? What are you focused on? And um, what, what, you know, what, what are the top things you guys are dealing with right now? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, things are going pretty good. Um, you, you know, we've been working hard. Uh, to build a good solution for our customers over the last, it's been about eight years now, or, or maybe uh, officially nine years here in January. And uh, in the early days, in the 2013, 2014 timeframe, you know, we were just getting started and the premise of the company w- was really based on the idea that all of the systems out there on the internet, all of the SaaS-based platforms and, and cloud systems would represent a lot of risk for, for people and for organizations in the future. And at the time, we were focused on social media primarily. We, we just um, had this belief that as social media became more popular and as businesses began to adopt it, that folks would um, sort of follow it and begin to abuse it and to use it to do uh, not so great things. And uh, in the 2013, 2014 timeframe, that wasn't really an accepted fact yet. And so, you know, we would meet with a lot of people and we would say like, hey, there, there are a lot of challenges on social media. You should purchase a product that will help you detect and respond to these things. And folks weren't quite convinced yet. 
around the 2016 timeframe, uh, there, there was a certain election and then, uh, social media as a whole started to get a lot of heat uh, from the sort of, as, as part of the, you know, the uh, general discourse here in the country. And a lot of people kind of uh, began to see all of the issues with social media, uh, not just on the sort of election front, but just cybersecurity in general. And things started to pick up for us quite a bit. And um, <clears throat> over the same course of uh, time, uh, our customers began to ask us to really uh, expand the aperture of, the, of, of what we were doing, right? So not to just think about social media, but to think about uh, domain-related issues, to think about surface web-related issues, to think about the deep and the dark web, and this really long list of all the things out there on the internet. And so over the course of time, we really began to um, expand our, our vision and our scope from social media security issues to really anything and everything kind of bad that's going out there on the internet that our customers um, would be concerned about and that they might want to be doing something about. So these days we, we do uh, hundreds, if not thousands of different kinds of things for our customers. But, but the, the common theme is our customers have this amazing uh, sort of perimeter defense. They have these amazing internal network security controls, but most, you know, most folks out there, they just have no visibility into what's going on beyond their perimeter. We provide them that visibility and we have a lot of uh, interesting response options too. So if you find something, it's not just that we tell you about it, we also help you do something about it. And that's really, um, you know, begun to catch on with folks. So what are the newer threats and tactics that you guys are seeing? Sure. Um, I, I, you know, I think there's um, some of the tried and true. Uh, it may be more common than folks, you know, understand kind of depending upon who you are, but there are a lot of social media impersonations that we see. So, there are a lot of uh, profiles that get created where these are basically misrepresenting a real world person. Sometimes uh, VIPs and celebrities or political figures get uh, targeted by these. Also, uh, people that are working for banks, for example, or, or wealthy individuals. And these profiles can be used for a whole different sort of like a, a myriad of different reasons. But 99.9% .9 of the time, it comes down to trying to you know, get money from somebody uh, sometimes these profiles are used, you know, as part of nation state attacks, for example, uh, amongst other things. So this is sort of what we've been working on for a long time, but we still continue to see these in massive numbers, you know, every day, uh, all the time. And then um, we've spent a lot of time building one of the best capabilities out there uh, with respect to domain protection. And so there's lots and lots of uh, domain names are sort of like these URLs where you're going to a website to get created that are used also to trick people uh, into, you know, stealing money or passwords or different things like that uh, to support carrying out phishing attacks. So we do a lot of work to capture, identify these domain names, report them to our customers, and then help affect uh, disruption, which is where we work with hosting and with the domain registrar, you know, with other providers on the internet to sort of dismantle this infrastructure. And then in the more recent past for us, we've made a huge investment into uh, what is known as cyber threat intelligence. And so we have a lot of visibility into the dark web and we're able to identify when, for example, an organization has been hacked and, and the information that was stolen is now being sold uh, on the so-called cyber criminal underground. We'll let our customers know that the information is there and help them uh, understand the details of what's been breached so that they can form formulate a better response and so on. So lots of social, lots of domain, lots of cyber threat intelligence. And then we've begun to do work in the physical security space as well. And so we're, we're monitoring for you know, if there are active shooter scenarios or other things like this, we're able to let our relevant customers know about these things in a timely manner. So there's just um, lo lots of interesting expansion use cases that we're covering these days. So, you know, we have a, a sizable business audience and, uh, you know, sometimes I think there might be some confusion. I love, you know, 
can you can you explain the difference between the underground and the deep and dark web? Uh, <clears throat> sure, sure. Yeah, th- th- there's a l- there's a little bit of nuance here. I mean, yeah, these are terms that definitely do get um, interchanged quite a bit. So I, I think if you were to look at sort of the strict definition of uh, deep web versus dark web, you would also probably want to take a look at quote unquote surface web or clear web. So the surface web or the clear web is just any regular website. And it's considered that it's, it's a website content that uh, you don't need a username or a password to log in you know, to the site. Basically, it's just readily available. It's indexed by Google and you can search and get to it. The deep web is considered to be any website where you basically have to have a login. And then once you've logged in, you can get to the content. But this could, this could still be accessible over the regular internet. There's no special access required. It's just that you, know, you couldn't kind of identify the contents of the site without logging in first. And then the deep, uh, excuse me, the dark web um, has to do with using something like um, some, some anonymization software to access the site in the first place or to host the site. The, the most uh, commonly used software for this is known as Tor. And so you'll have people running websites that are served up via Tor and then folks accessing them via Tor. And so this makes it much more difficult to identify who's actually hosting and running that site. Um, but beyond that, then these sites do tend to be regular websites and you may have to log into them as well. Um, sometimes you'll have to be vetted in, you know, you'll have to know somebody who, who will vouch for you in order to gain ac- access to these uh, dark websites. And then beyond that, um, for the most part, what we're dealing with <clears throat> in our particular case are uh, quote unquote cyber criminals. And we're mostly dealing with uh, forums and marketplaces. And so forums are where there are just basically free exchange of ideas and conversation between different folks that are participating on these dark websites. And marketplaces are where uh, sort of like capabilities or goods are uh, sold. So it might be the sale of um, some malware related capability, uh, it might be the sale of some stolen goods, for example, it might be the sale of some fraudulent goods as well. Yeah, man, it's like, uh, <clears throat> I love the way you described it. You know, it's like, you know, going to the social club right back in the mob days, right? You ain't getting through that door without, you know, being vouched for, right? Having committed a bunch of crimes, <laughs> done a whole bunch of stuff. And then, you know, going out to the street corner that they own that block on, right? Like there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole parallel to the, to the real, real world, right? And this stuff um, that I find fascinating that um, I love the way you laid that out. So, so we're also hearing a lot, and I think this term is, is interesting, and you know, I'd love to get your take on it, but deep fake, right? Like what's a deep fake? Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. This, this stuff is uh, interesting. I've done some work on this in the past and um, from a technical standpoint, it, it's very fun to dig into, but the gist of it is uh, that you're able to um, sort of train up a, a machine learning model uh, or a deep learning model uh, with the characteristics of one person's face. And then you can take a video and sort of uh, overlay the face you know, from your first video onto the face in the second video. And so you can essentially uh, put somebody's face into any video that you would like. And, um, you know, the sort of, I think a lot of people have seen the test videos that different people have created and put out there where you maybe will take a famous actor and, you know, overlay their face into a sort of a funny video or like, a, you know, a video where they would never ordinarily do that type of thing. But that's kind of the gist of it is you can face swap um, one person's face into another video. Uh, there are some other techniques that you can use where you can take a, a person's face and sort of animate their mouth. And so you can do puppeteering where you can have them sort of, you know, move their lips to a talk track and then maybe overlay some audio and get them to say things as well. And um, at the end of the day, the idea is that you can kind of 
you know, in your own house without any particularly sophisticated software equipment, uh, create videos of real world people uh, and then have them kind of do and say things and have it look realistic. So how, how has that changed like the social engineering threat for, for companies and for people? Yeah, I, I think uh, the weaponization of deepfakes is something that a lot of folks have uh, talked about and sort of speculated on. I recall that there was a lot of uh, coverage in the media of this maybe two years ago. And, um, you know, folks had commented to me that there was a lot of interest in government about the potential misuse of these things, at, you know, at that point in time. I think the, the, the dialogue around this has quieted a bit over the last couple of years. And so it's not quite as popular of a topic, but, uh, you know, really there aren't a, a ton of publicly observed um, instance, instances in which deepfakes have been used to do something bad. There was a report regarding something called uh, Deep Voice, where basically some uh, audio tracks were generated using a related technique and, and they were used to, leave voicemails for some folks working in the finance departments at a couple of companies asking for the finance departments to uh, carry out a wire transfer. Some money was stolen that way. So maybe one of the only documented uh, cases in which this overall style of, uh, you, you, you know, creating uh, either a deep fake or some audio has been used to, to defraud someone. So I would just say that deep fakes really aren't being observed in the wild much at this point. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see where it goes, right? CEO's voice gets faked. I think that's what the scenario is, right? CEO or CFO calls okay, the yeah. apartment. And they go, oh my gosh, I got any preying on that sense of urgency and keeping your boss happy and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, really, really interesting stuff. I, I love this space because, you, you know, look, this is where, you know, you get to see the, you know, where crimes are being committed, where adversaries go. I've, you know, I, in my time kind of go, you know, look, looking to dismantle and go after transnational organized crime, crime groups online, you know, that they're so smart and they're, they're so um, advanced in terms of their thinking and pushing the envelope and finding new creative ways. Um, and, you know, we, and to combat that, you, you've got to, you know, do the same thing, right. You got to have some folks that are um, just love this stuff and, and can build the technologies and the network to, 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 understand and have visibility and access into their world. Um, how do you guys go about, you know, building the right infrastructure to combat and have visibility into these threats? Uh, yeah, look, it, it, it is a heavy lift. I mean, these days, you know, our company is growing and we have a, a, a large team working on this and uh, we do have a lot of infrastructure and we do a lot of R and D, so to speak, in order to uh, track to what, what, what the adversaries are doing. Um, I think something that's interesting about the space that we work in is, is that we, 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 we help defend our customers on so many different fronts. And I think this is, this is a little bit different from certain other cybersecurity solutions. You know, and some folks might agree or disagree with me somewhat, but if you have an endpoint security solution, you're going to be hyper-focused on kind of like the, uh, the endpoint and the malware that's going to come onto that, a few other things, you know, and you can bring all of your resources to bear on a fairly focused problem, you know, it's not a, it's not a perfectly true, but, but more or less in our case, we're looking for, we're looking to collect uh, data and information, other things from, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of sources and to process and analyze it all for hundreds or thousands of different uh, types of harm and abuse and issues. And so it requires, you know, a very broad set of capabilities in, in our particular case. And so We've had to um, get really good at uh, processing, you know, media, text, images, video. We've had to get good at processing 
the traditional uh, malicious URLs and the traditional malicious files. We've had to get good at uh, processing, performing NLP and ML and AI on you know all kinds of different content points of our platform, working with documents and things. And so a lot of it has been um, sort of uh, subject matter expertise built up over the course of the last decade or so as um, we've moved from working on one problem and sort of expanding to the next one, right? We're able to learn and then bring what we've learned to bear and to kind of grow over time. So it has been an interesting challenge though. Yeah, but it, it's, it, you bring up a great point in, in the sense that, you know, when you're looking at an all hazards type of predictable model to see what are, what are the threats, what are they going to be, who's doing them, where are they going to come from when, um, you know, that's fun stuff, right? So your, your team must be like pretty jacked up all the time. You know, how, how is it recruiting in folks, you know, right now? And, you know, are you finding that diversity of mission um, is helpful for you guys to bring in the right talent? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I think that um, our, our company is demonstrating that our, that our approach works pretty well. So like just from the the fact that we have a growing customer base and, you know, that the, the, the overall performance of the company is good um, as far as anybody, you know, as far as we're communicating to folks. And so I certainly think that there are folks that are joining the team because they're excited to work with us and they're excited to work with us going forward, right, as we continue to build and grow the company. And um, really, as we, we, we continue to solve sort of a novel problem, I, I think that it, for me, I've always said to folks internally, it's kind of weird looking back that prior to our company or prior to, you know, 2013 timeframe, uh, most folks in the cybersecurity industry were focused on that perimeter network, on their corporate network. And they have, you know, they were building this kind of gold-plated uh, protection for, the, for the, the network that they own and operated. And, you know, if you were to ask somebody in 2012, like what was going on on the internet beyond their own network, they would, most folks would not have had an answer to that. So the fact that we jumped in and are now able to give people visibility into sort of like what's going on globally versus just on their own little network. Um, I think um, it's very, it's a very cool space to work in and it, it has proven to be valuable, you know, for our customers. So I think the fact that we're, we've, we found that new space to build out in and that, and that a lot of people want, you know, that type of service um, is certainly attractive to, to, to folks that want to come work with us. So, you know, um, recruiting good talent is still very hard though. I'll have to admit. Yeah, no doubt, man. But I think I think you're spot on, right? Like that over the horizon, what's happening outside of our border and perimeter, like, is so key. Um, you know, you hit on the physical side of this, which I I think is fantastic. Are you seeing more companies focus on convergence? You know, in terms of physical and cyber. Um, you know, are you kind of in the physical space, kind of talking still to the CSO versus the CISO? Like, is that are you seeing any combining of the teams and organizations? Like I've always loved the converge model, just coming from the secret service, having both the physical and cyber background. So I, I love that, that stuff, but what are you seeing still out there in the industry like in terms of CISO, CSO, cyber, physical, kind of all like, you know, being separate? Yeah, we're definitely seeing the two come together. So there, there is a good amount of discussion um, that I have, you know, with prospects, customers and internally on this topic. And, uh, we're definitely seeing more interest out of the CISOs organization in uh, bringing in a solution that can account for this for sure. And I think that, you know, the, the primary observation is that there's, there's just a lot of heads up that you can get uh, online to real world physical security incidents. And so um, there, there may, it may be the case that physical security teams aren't as accustomed to getting information in this way. And so they may begin to pick it up from, 
a platform that the CISO organization has already purchased, and then the information is being maybe passed along to the physical security team. Uh, but we are certainly seeing a number of cases in which the CISO organization, for one reason or another, is also interested in the physical security side of things. And um, we're doing a good amount of work with both, you know, the, the FISEC teams directly as well as with CISO organizations. Very cool. All right, man, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from Chief Technology Officer Zero Fox, Mike Price. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with Chief Technology Officer of Zero Fox, Mike Price. All right, Mike, we're at the home stretch, brother. I, um, I'd love to, love to get your take on just like, you know, like we're, already, we're a month into 22. Um, you know, what are the trends that you're seeing from the threat space that you think you're going to continue to, to continue on this year? And what, what do you think is going to come up that's new? Sure. Uh, well, those are both good questions. I'll, I'll have to think a little bit about the, the second one there. Um, I, I think that um, <clears throat> one of the overall trends that we've seen is that 
you know, all kinds of sort of online abuse have been on the rise. Uh, but especially since COVID started, there was a meaningful spike in overall, uh, you know, harmful activities that were being carried out on the internet. And so right around the time that COVID hit, everybody, you know, globally, for the most part, kind of uh, went, you know, and stayed in their homes for a long time. There was a big spike in, uh, you know, different types of fraud, uh, different types of phishing attacks, malware distribution, and things like that. Most of this is documented online. And since that time, and over the last couple of years, there's just been a big increase in issues that everybody's had to deal with, including ourselves. And so I, you know, I expect that the, that, that sort of new normal with respect to cybercrime will continue through this year. So you know, this is something that we'll have to wait and see, but that's kind of what I'm expecting. I think that um, that kind of sets the, the foundation for the year. There's just a big increase in this stuff overall. And then um, if you were to look at last year, we certainly saw sort of the biggest year ever when it came to high stakes ransomware attacks uh, against the United States. I think these were mostly cyber criminal related. And, you know, some of them may have been more about the dollars than about the targets, but we saw a big string of these attacks last year that were just really <clears throat> eye catching, you know, and uh, many of them attacked uh, cyber, um, excuse me, critical infrastructure, uh, key resources and, you know, caught the eyes of the government for sure as well. And so for this year, uh, when it comes to ransomware attacks, I'll be curious to see how things progress. I think on the private sector side, you, you know, um, things will remain similar. On the uh, U.S. government side, I'll be curious to see if some of the activities that are being undertaken by the, the government will help to improve the ransomware situation a bit. I know that uh, some organizations like CISA are actually uh, mobilized quite a bit in, in, in doing a lot of work. And I have... Uh, some belief that the work that they're doing will help to improve the situation in terms of federal and maybe state local governments as well. So I think that we'll continue to see these ransomware attacks and I think that they will impact private and public sector. Uh, although I think that the government and public sector may improve a little bit this year uh, and perhaps even more next year. So uh, this will be interesting to keep an eye out for. And then, um, you know, really uh, one thing that I'm interested in looking out for here in, in, in the, the coming two or three months are the after effects of the log4j vulnerability. And so this uh, log4j vulnerability was uh, very widespread. And, you know, there are untold numbers of hosts that were uh, vulnerable to this issue. There are long lists of, uh, you know, potentially vulnerable hosts that are being uh, sold even on the, uh, the dark web. And so there's just folks that are out there scanning and finding these hosts, selling uh, their, that information to other folks who are exploiting and using this as a way to get in the door, lots of different organizations around the world. And I suspect that this will lead to an increase in breaches. Um, and then these breaches may, you know, may or may not ultimately end up on these marketplaces on the dark web for sale. So perhaps in the uh, Q1, Q2 timeframe, we'll, we'll see an increase in uh, reported breaches based on, on the log4j vulnerability. But you know, we'll have to wait and see how that how that ultimately plays out. Yeah, it's a it's good observation, man. I think it's going to be really crazy to see where this goes. You know, so you know, in the beginning of the show, you, you know, you talked a little bit about the impacts of kind of social media on the election. You know, early on uh, or elections in, in the past. You know, we got some conflicts going on in the world right now, and you know, you start thinking about like information operations and stuff like that. Like, what what do you guys do, or you know, where do you play in that space? Yeah, um, 
it's an interesting an interesting topic. Um, I've I've done a pretty good amount of reading on this topic, more for out of personal interest than than out of you know strictly what we do at Zero Fox. So I'm read right up on the topic. I would say that our business is primarily focused on helping defend. Uh, we're primarily focused on helping defend the enterprise or or uh, private sector organizations for more of the uh, sort of fraud uh, malware you know traditional cybersecurity issues. We're not doing a lot of work uh, around info ops. To be honest with you. I think where our platform is helpful in that regard is with some of the core use cases that we support. So oftentimes these information operations campaigns do involve creating the fake or impersonating profiles. You know, they may not necessarily impersonate someone. They might just create a profile of of a fake person that doesn't exist, but that claims to belong to an organization. And so we'll help to find these types of things. And so we can help reduce uh, you, you know some of the the, the tactical sorry capabilities that, that these folks may be using. So we're we're I think complementary and we help folks you know address those types of issues. We, we, our core focus though is not on for example identifying the operations themselves and, and, and getting deep into that type of stuff. Yeah, um, it makes, we're, makes perfect sense um, strategically for you guys. <laughs> I get it. So you know you you've had a successful run, man, as a you know technologist becoming an entrepreneur and. Uh, and now leading, you know, sitting in a C-suite, you know, of, of um, you know, successful company. What advice would you give like the young technologists out there that have that entrepreneurial bug and, you know, want to, you know, start up or, you know, become business people? Yeah, at, at some point I'm going to have to write down um, my, my thoughts on this topic because I always feel like I, um, it's a missed opportunity for me when I answer this question because I, I, I don't get it all out, you know. Uh, so I'll, I'll do the best I can, but I, I think that there are a few things. Um, I've always the first ten years of my career, the first fifteen years of my career were were purely technical, and I, you know, was always working on you know um, maybe reverse engineering something or coding something, and that's really what I love to do, to be honest. And um, you know, the second half of my career has been much more about trying to help uh, solve a, a meaningful problem in the world through you know starting a company, basically, and. Uh, you know, ma- managing and leading through the startup, um, it, it's very hard. And if you if you love tech, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to love leading and managing. And, and, and uh, it's hard to know that though in the beginning. And so you, you might end up, you know, leading and managing, but really missing the tech stuff, or, or maybe you'll find that you love it, you know? And so I think you kind of have to try to really know yourself. And um, I did get a, a good piece of advice from a, from a friend, it was very straightforward advice, which said like, you know, wh- what do you want to be doing in five years? And, you know, and make that decision and then work towards that. And if you really want to be working on tech, then stay, you know, on the tech track. And if you really, really want to be working on a business, you know, then take the leap and do it, you know? So that that's one, it's kind of like, you got to know thyself. Um, and then the second is, is I found uh, that risk-taking has actually been super uh, productive for me. And so, you know, I, I had uh, moved out of the United States uh, when we were talking about my, my time working at JPL. The next step for me after that was uh, I moved to Mexico and I lived for about 15 years in, in, in Latin America. And it was one of the best experiences of my life, but it was very scary. And, you know, I, and I almost didn't do it. And uh, having done that, it, it changed my life. And then when I, you know, decided to do the first startup, it was also one of the, the scariest decisions I've ever made, but, but I did it anyways. And, um, you know, every time I've been scared to do something, but I've done it anyways, it's, it's panned out in my favor. So I just think that, uh, you know, I, I tried to stay very um, nimble, right? I, I had very little debt. I, I had very little, few possessions, honestly, and I was able to kind of move around whenever I needed to, 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 to go after any opportunity when, when, when it presented itself. And I was willing to 
take risk um, and, and go try, you know, big, scary things. And then, uh, you know, that had worked out um, and it's taken two or three tries to, to learn how to do these things. And so, you know, also being persistent and just, you know, just, you know, pushing through the hard times, I think is, you know, one of the things that's really important as well. So. Man, I really appreciate that insight, man. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I appreciate that. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, brother. All right, folks, time for us to bounce up on out of here. Don't forget to visit aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7 to get your favorite pair of TF7 sneakers. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.